morning, everybody, and for those who are joining us uh, online, good to, good to see you all this morning. Um, the message this morning is entitled, The Myths of Heaven. So we talk about the mists of heaven. This is the myths of heaven. And um, to anchor, um, Arthur's talking about anchors in our lives. I'd really like to think that uh, after this morning's message, you'll have an additional anchor in your life. So when we think about heaven... Um, I certainly have a collection of jokes about heaven in my in my head. I'm one of these people that collects jokes, and and I need a trigger, uh, something, a subject matter that will come up in conversation, and immediately my mind goes to my filing cabinet of jokes, and I, I manage to think of something, whether it be mother-in-law or golf or doctor. I've I've got jokes about everything. Um, so when when heaven is mentioned, I think of there's three jokes that come to mind. The first one is um. A Gary Larson cartoon. I don't know if you're Gary Larson fans. One half of the cartoon shows people arriving at heaven and Peter at the gate of heaven, at the pearly gate, saying, Welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And the second half of the picture shows a demon inviting people into hell, saying, Welcome to hell, here's your accordion. You see? Now, you, you can substitute bagpipes or any instrument that you don't particularly <laughs> like into that joke. The second one is about the guy, the wealthy businessman who had been very successful in life and he knew that he was, he was dying, he was a righteous man, but he converted all of his liquid assets into gold and he had some bags of gold waiting by the side of his bed because he wanted to take it with him. And when the angels arrived to take him, he said to the angels, look, I've really worked hard for this all my life. Can I take this gold with me to heaven? And the angels being big, burly, strong angels said, sure, we'll, we'll carry it for you and, and take you to heaven with it. So he arrived at the pearly gates and St Peter welcomed him to heaven and he says, what have you got in those bags? And he had a look and he says, pavement, you've brought pavement. See? I'm not hearing too many laughs back here. You've got, to, you've got to laugh a bit louder for the benefit of the people um, uh, listening. But my, probably my favourite is with the bus driver and the, the minister both arriving at the pearly gates at the same time. They're welcomed into heaven and the minister is given a cosy, pleasant house on a pleasant street in heaven. And the bus driver is given a mansion. And he's a bit puzzled about this. The minister later goes to St. Peter. He says, you know, I've been serving the Lord for 40 years. And I'm given a comfortable house. But why did the bus driver get a mansion? And St. Peter says, well, when you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. You know? <laughs> oh, that's a bit better. I like that laugh. That's a bit better. Isn't it weird that we hear a lot of jokes about heaven, but very seldom do we hear it preached? In fact, the only time I can remember hearing it preached is at funerals. It's not for the benefit of the guest of honour in the casket at the front, right? So the Bible actually talks about heaven about 600 times throughout the Bible, and yet we don't preach it very often. Um, if you've got your Bibles, open it to Revelation 21. Revelation 21, and we're reading from verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So besides the 600 mentions of heaven, the word heaven in scripture, there's related terms too, like the house of the Lord in Psalm 23, paradise in Luke 23, the city which has foundations in Hebrew 11, Mount Zion in Revelation 14. And as we read just now in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem. Now if you want a mind-blowing read, finish reading chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. It will describe that city, that new Jerusalem. You know, it's 2,500 kilometres wide, 2,500 kilometres in breadth, and 2,500 kilometres high. To put that into context, New Zealand is 1,600, 1,600 kilometres end to end. So this is a city that is about one and a half times the length of New Zealand, and the breadth, and the height. And if you, you want to read more about the river that flows through and the, the trees of life that um, dwell in that heavenly city, uh, have a read of Revelation 21 and 22. That's your homework for the day. Um, I want to have a look at Paul's attitude towards heaven. And um, we'll go into Philippians 3. You might want to look it up just while I'm providing a bit of context. So in Philippians 1, we read that Paul is in chains. He's in prison. He's expecting to be executed any time. So he's expecting um, death any time, and, and timing tells us it's, it's going to be one of the, the Roman emperors, uh, either Nero or Domitian, who, um, who executed Paul ultimately. But he says this in Philippians 3. Look it up if you've got it there. Philippians 3, verse 12. And Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have been taken hold of, having taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead, I press on to, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. So there's, there's been a lot of theological debate about what that prize is that he's been talking about there. Paul, you might know this from your theological studies, but um, if you read commentaries on it, there are a multitude of opinions. What do he mean by the prize? In um, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, you don't have to look it up, but he says, do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So he's talking about the Pan-Hellenic uh, Games, the, including the Olympic Games, or there were four types of games that were held in Greece in those days. And the prize was a garland of flowers on a bed of leaves, uh, different flowers and different leaves for different games. But that's all they got. So this was the prize that didn't last, that Paul's uh, talking about. And then he's talking about the prize that does last when we get to heaven. So some people think that the prize that Paul was talking about in Philippians 3 was a crown. And there are various crowns talked about uh, in Revelation, the, the types of crowns that um, will be given to the saints. But I don't think, I don't think it was a crown. <clears throat> um, let me read a scripture from Luke 18 to you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God 
will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. That word eternal life is the Greek word zoe, zoe, and it it literally means the life of the age to come. Now, Paul, in all of his writings, has numerous times, he's, uh, he's used the analogy of walking in life or running in life or the race of life and reaching the end. Um, despite all the obstacles, and there'll be a crowd of witnesses at the end um, to cheer him on towards the end. And in Philippians, he's specifically, the language is about um, being called heavenward, being called upward. And so I'm firmly, along with many other theologians, believe that uh, the prize that Paul is talking about is Zoe, the life of the age to come. That's what he's striving for. That's what he's aiming for. And that's what he's encouraging us um, to, be, um, to be aiming for. So when we think of eternal life, we think of it in terms of time. We think it's going to be everlasting. And, but eternal in this sense, in the Greek, uh, the sense is around quality of life. And um, zoe, the idea of zoe is the restoration of life in all its fullness as God first intended it. It's the life he designed for us in the Garden of Eden um, without the curse. Later on, we're going to be singing a song about the curse being lifted. Life without pain, suffering or death, the fullness of life lived in the presence of God, walking and talking with our creator. That's the idea of Zoe, eternal life. So whenever whenever you see that phrase, eternal life, in the New Testament, it's, it's Zoe. It's that life. Now... What about our attitude to heaven? Um, some of you may have heard my last sermon. I talked about uh, the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16. In Luke 15, Jesus is giving, he's, he's having a dig at the Pharisees because of their attitude towards the lost. He talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and he's having a dig at them because they, they uh, haven't got their, li- their lives focused on reaching the lost. In Luke 16, he's talking about their attitude to money. And um, the second parable in that chapter talks about uh, Lazarus and and the rich man ending up in in Hades looking up to see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and he's jealous. And it showed that uh, there was a a reversal of fortunes for the Pharisees who thought thought that uh, um, the the poor were cursed of God, but in fact the poor were blessed of God and they ended up in, in Hades. And the parable of the shrewd manager, is, it's a similar message. It's saying, don't put all your efforts into earning money on earth, no matter how shrewd you are. Use your talents in that way to invest in heaven because um, this is not the place that you need to be investing in. It's heaven that you need to be investing in. David Jeremiah in his book, Unlocking the Mysteries of Heaven, said this, When our church doesn't have Zoe, heaven, on its mind... It can tend to grow indulgent and weak. Our thoughts are consumed with our present needs and heaven becomes an afterthought. That's why many times there isn't a lot of difference between the lifestyles of Christians and non-Christians. We tend to forget about the eternal consequences of our actions and we don't live with a sense of the judgments and rewards that will one day come away, come our way. Our concern about personal holiness begins to slip away and we lose our passion for winning others to Christ. Here's a phrase I want you to remember, and I'm going to repeat it twice. I'm going to repeat it. We are not citizens of earth who are on our way to heaven. We are citizens of heaven passing through earth, right? We're not citizens of earth who are on our way to heaven. 
We are citizens of heaven passing through earth. We are made for heaven. That's where we belong, not earth. If we don't understand that and we don't feed the hunger with the spiritual truth of the word of God, we end up suppressing that need and replacing it with superfluous stuff, possessions, pleasure, recreation. Um, and that'll leave us empty and without satisfaction. I don't know how many of you, hands up, have been camping as children or as families? Quite a few. Um, we used to camp every year. My, my father was a scoutmaster and we lived in central Otago and we used to go out to Lake Wanaka to camp every year, the camping ground. And I remember those days are probably some of the most pleasant days of my childhood. We'd set up this canvas tent with its wooden poles and, um, and uh, uh, basic necessities. He would cook on a campfire, I think, because he was a scoutmaster and knew how to do all that stuff. Um, and we would wander, we'd swim in the lake and we would wander around and we'd spy on my older brother with holding hands with his girlfriend. Um, all of those were, were very pleasant memories. And then years later, when our kids were grown, we were invited to go camping at Port Jackson on the, on the tip of the Coromandel. A beautiful spot, a Department of Conservation camping ground. Um, but this was, a, this was with my, my son and his family and his parents-in-law, my, my daughter-in-law's parents, um, and I think their other son. Anyway, it was a big camping site. They brought a whole trailer load, a, a, you know, a covered trailer load full of... There was a central tent with a dining table and chairs, and they brought a barbecue from home, and uh, we had our sleeping tents uh, on the side, and they had a mat down, and uh, there was a fish smoker, and uh, you, this was camping that was... Totally unknown to us. We had a great time. Two weeks of camping in this environment was fantastic. You know, we could have titivated a bit more. We could have had carpet instead of mats. We could have, we could have had, you know, television. Had there been a power supply, there wasn't a power supply. Um, but the thing is, camping by definition is temporary. You don't invest a whole bunch of attention and money into camping because you know it's only going to be for a short time. And isn't that a great analogy for us here on earth? Should we be investing so much time and effort in our comfort here on earth when it's only a temporary place for us? I think of uh, the people who have recently returned. You would have seen emotional scenes at the airport uh, on the news. People coming home finally after having been kind of exiled from New Zealand because of uh, the managed isolation and quarantine facilities. So now that that's gone, they're, they're coming back in their droves. Can you imagine them spending a lot of time on their temporary accommodation in Australia or Canada or wherever they have been? They know it's temporary. They're coming back home. Their, their heart is in New Zealand, not where they were living. So they wouldn't have spent a lot of time and effort um, for their, their creature comforts in those places. Same thing. We're temporary here. We're citizens of heaven passing through earth. Right? Um, one of the myths of heaven that I'm going to dispel this morning is uh, people think heaven's boring. <laughs> Who has ever thought that heaven might be boring? Okay, I don't see any hands, but I think you're probably being dishonest. <laughs> this, you, um, I don't know. I've thought of, you know, is heaven going to be us floating around on clouds playing harps or um, in church services all the time? You know, what, what's it actually going to be like? 
Randy Alcorn is, a, is the founder of Eternal Perspective Ministries, and he wrote this. Our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy, that God is boring. There's no greater nonsense. Our desire for pleasure and the experience of joy come directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, adrenaline, sex drives, the nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, our imaginations and our capacity for joy and exhilaration were made by the very God we accuse of being boring. Are we so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? Did we come up with the idea of wit and humour and laughter? Who created music itself and the ability to perform it? God did. So we're certainly not going to be in a place where the master of heaven is boring. Are we going to work? Well, Revelation mentions numerous times that we'll be serving God. Maybe we'll be creating new planets. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? Right? Helping him do that. There's also many references in Scripture to us reigning with Christ. This is probably referring to the millennium, uh, where, where um, uh, he will come and bring peace on earth and we'll be reigning with him. Um, so I, I think we're going to be busy. Um, I'll talk about relationships in a second, but uh, my daughter sent me a joke uh, through WhatsApp the other, the other week. Little girls in class and the teacher's saying, she's talking about the anatomy of whales, and she says the, the throat of a whale is too small for any human to be ingested by a whale. And the little girl says, well, that's not true because Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher says, no, no, that's physically not possible. And the little girl says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher says, she's getting a bit miffed now. She says, well, what if he goes to hell? And she says, the, the little girl says, well, you can ask him then. <laughs> I don't know. Can you imagine being able to talk to some of the characters in the Bible, sit down and have a conversation or a cup of tea with, with Noah or Abraham or Isaac? What about some of our contemporaries, Derek Smith? Um, um, Billy Graham, uh, you know some of your favourite um, preachers, James Dobson, all the people I'd love to be uh, to be talking with for eternity. I don't think heaven's going to be boring at all. But listen, um, there is an entrance ticket to heaven. Now, scripture makes it very clear that we're not saved by our good works; we're saved for the purpose of doing good works. We're not saved by our works; we're saved for the purpose of doing good works. So Ephesians 2.8 says this. Actually, look it up if you've got your Bibles there. Ephesians 2. You can, uh, it's immediately after Ephesians 1. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So once we've accepted Christ as our saviour, there is no more penalty for our sins when we, as long as we're walking daily in his, in his spirit. When we face the judgment seat of God, it's not about learning whether we're going to make it into heaven. It's about being accountable for how we lived our Christian lives here on earth. All right? So it's not about our salvation. It's about the works that we did in his name. But I have to tell you that entrance to heaven is granted only to those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. Um, 
John 3.16. Can you, can you quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe on his name shouldn't perish but everlasting life. Right? What about John 14.6? Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right, so there, you need your name and the Lamb's Book of Life in order to gain entrance to heaven. God is inviting you to a banquet, but you need to RSVP. You need to respond. And I just want to say this morning, if, if, you, are you, if you're not sure, whether you're sitting here or listening online, if you're not sure that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, I urge you to pray about it right now. Confess your sins, acknowledge Christ as your Lord and Saviour, turn your life over to his control, and accept his free offer of life, the gift of eternal life. So, in closing, there are many things that we haven't covered about Zoe, the life of the age to come. Things like Armageddon, the millennium, the rapture, the resurrection of the saints, the rewards that will be given to us in heaven. Questions you might ask, like, will children, what happens to children? What happens to pets? Um, and I'm afraid they'll have to wait for another sermon. We just don't have time today to go over all of those things. But in closing, I do want to recast a statement that I quoted from Pastor David Jeremiah earlier. He said, when the church doesn't have Zoe on its mind, it can tend to grow indulgent and weak. Our thoughts are consumed with our present needs. Heaven becomes an afterthought. That's why many times there isn't always a lot of difference between the lifestyles of Christians and non-Christians. We tend to forget about the eternal consequences of our actions. We don't live with a sense of the judgments and rewards that will one day come our way. Our concern about personal holiness begins to slip away and we lose our passion for winning others to Christ. So I want to recast that. I want to rephrase that, and this is what I'll end with. When the church has Zoe, heaven, on its mind, it will grow strong and determined. Our thoughts will be less consumed with earthly needs and more consumed about preparing ourselves and others for heaven. The differences between Christian and worldly Christians and um, non-Christians will become obvious because we'll be driven by very different things. We will live knowing that one day we will account to God for how we lived and what we did during our time on earth, and as a result, our personal holiness will increase and we will regain our passion for winning others to Christ. Do you believe it? Say amen. That's it. Mm -hmm.